recording? It's going. Cool. Right. Podcast number four. How are you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you, man? Good. This is interviewless. This is just podcast chat. This so. is just me and Chris. Yep. Um, the thanks. dream team. Yeah. So to say. Thank you Paul for... Paul <laughs> Magnet and Steel. That's it. Uh, Kit and David Hasselhoff. Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. Really? Not Michael Cera? Oh, well, I'm thinking 21 Jump Street. I'm thinking super bad. Super bad. But, but then, then you who's can... me, you need, we need a third for McLovin. Paul's just left. Does that make Paul McLovin? Uh, I mean, maybe. It would explain the vests. It would. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been listening so far. Thank you to our interview guests so far. Hope you enjoyed Cass. Uh, we, oh man, just learned so much with that dude. He is potentially one of the, the most rhythmically gifted drummers I think I've ever seen. Yeah, and I really hope that people start to get it with him because I feel guys like that, man, they need a they need a they need the world to see how good they are. Having said that, having said that, he did mention that one of his videos is like half a million views. Oh yeah, just 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 the half a million, like, you know. What? Like, what? That's cray cray. So um we decided that we would try and maybe take some um questions from you guys and just see what comes up, see what we can talk about. Also, I'm going to prefix today. We are trying some different microphones, so if it sounds bonkers, apologies. We'll Let us know as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, these are super sensitive, so we're having to sit super relatively far away from them so that we don't get horrendous popping and cracking. Yes. So uh, Adam listed a bunch of questions, I think. Yeah, so um, if you guys don't know, or if you aren't in the know, um, we have a, a Facebook group called Drummers Only Forum. Um, so in that, we kind of just kind of shoot the shit a little bit, just kind of have a bit of a laugh, a bit of banter. Um, but also, uh, I asked um, if, if people had any questions. I also did the same on our Instagram, at DrummersOnlyUK. Um, and yeah, so I think we're going to take a couple of the questions and maybe see if we can build a topic around it or just even just yeah. answer some of these. Yeah, man. See what happens. Yeah, we can, I mean, yeah, we'll do that. What's happened in the shop? And like, what's happened in the shot? Well, we've just had a big sonar drop. Yeah, but we did, didn't we? And a big pedal drop as yeah, well. Yeah, we really did. Yeah, lots of drums in just now. And you know, <laughs> so Friday when like, I don't really want to date it, but anyway, when the delivery arrives, I'd been to the gym in the morning. Right. And it was arm day. <laughs> So I was pretty unhappy when a big, massive four-pallet pedal delivery arrived. And I was like... Yeah, and oh. it was waiting on us getting in. Or was it? I'm pretty sure. Or if it wasn't waiting on us, the guy turned up at like 10 past 10. Wow. Something cray-cray like that. Like, not even had coffee. You know, Yeah. all still a bit like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. You know, morning introductions. And then this guy's like, 12 pallets, mate. <laughs> or whatever he said. Cool. Uh, yeah. You had it well. I will say, if it was arm day, thanks. Here's the thing. Yeah. Does arm day affect it when? Uh, does arm day affect gig day? Do you know? <laughs> because I'm quite a hard hitter. Right. I actually think I time my arm day quote on open and closed quotation marks um, for a gig day so that I mellow out. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's strategy. That's my thinking. Purposefully. Yeah, like a little bit. So, right. like, obviously, my like. Before when before I actually started practicing how I played, I was like arms McGee. Like I would just swing my arms around quite a lot. Uh, nothing wrong with that. It's just I I just thought like yeah rock band let's do it. So get the arms involved. And um, when I started playing weddings, getting your arms involved isn't 
always the best thing for everyone else in the room. Or, or like stamina for four hours, eh? Yeah, totally, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's drastically different. Maybe we can maybe even talk about this, like drastic, the difference between playing a half hour, 45 minute set with your originals band versus four hours in a wedding band. Like, yeah, it's, there's, there's a customer we have called Dave who experienced this very thing for the first time recently um, because the gigs he was used to doing were like maybe a max 45 minute set and he was doing quite well he'd play, like he'd supported corn and things wow. uh, his band were they, they were on the verge and then it, it went all uh, Gavin and Stacey and him and Smithy split up um, and uh, yeah he, he started playing wedding gigs and was like damn son yeah it's a totally like I don't think anyone who's never played a wedding before I don't think quite understands just how different it, it actually is. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're playing an originals band, like, people are there to see you. This is a slightly different aspect of it, but people are there to see you, but also, like, the stamina you need to have to be able to play for that length of time. Mm-hmm. Like, is it, it really takes a lot of people by surprise. It certainly took me by surprise when I first kind of went on the wedding scene. How did you find it um, when you got... Adam, for for those of you that don't know, Adam plays a Yamaha brass recording custom snare. Now, brass is loud, right? It just is one of those things. Did you have to change how hard you were hitting the drums because of the snare? Well, now, yes, but when I first got it, I just so happened to have a gig in a very large room okay. where I had to hit it hard. Right. Um, well, I didn't have to hit it hard. I, I, I wanted to hit it hard. Um, and it sounded great, but then I found that, like, if you're playing in a room that's basically, like, like a small box, mm. there's no way you can get away with playing a snare like that that loud. Like no. I would, I would get sacked yeah. immediately. Do you tune it differently for those rooms? I do. So I do the whole the old studio trick where I have two tension mm. rods mm-hmm. basically loose, so it's nice and fat. It gives me a kind of rounded kind of sound. I think with that drum, that tuning style works really well. Right, um, and it just mellows it out a lot. And also, I've also changed what sticks I use. Oh, okay. So I used to use um, 5B, Vicverse 5B. Right. Um, and then I went down to 55A, and now I'm on 85A. Wow. So it's like... That's a big jump, bro. It's a big jump because I... Uh, for a bit of backstory, my uh, old drum teacher said, man, you need to play... I used to play 2Bs. Like, yeah. on like every gig I played, I would play it with 2Bs. And, like... He would be like, man, if you play with heavier sticks, it just means that you're just going to improve and you're going to get better and you're going to get stronger and like you know, like you're going to be able to handle a lot more. So I was like, oh, cool, I'm going to play with two Bs. <laughs> and like five years of playing with two Bs meant I had Popeye arms, but then like I was like, man, I'm tearing through sticks as well because I'm hitting so hard. So do, do you still break sticks as much? I still break sticks, but because I'm, I guess I've kind of tricked myself by using a lighter stick, I inherently don't hit as hard. Right. Um, I still hit hard, but like not as hard as what I used to. Uh, was the I think I'm just interviewing you. I know it's um, good. you play with bagpipes too. So has that got to do with the volume? Um, a little bit. It can, contribute? It, it can it can depend. So having bagpipes on stage obviously is very different from having a vocalist on stage. Mm. Bagpipes are like I think they're an outside instrument. Yeah. Anyone that plays them inside is crazy. They're very, like, I think someone, one of the guys in the band's also a sound engineer, and he said the decibel level on a bagpipe is, like, 
the equivalent of someone hitting a snare drum really, really hard. Like, the decibels it reaches is really, right. really high. So, which doesn't sound a lot. It's like, who cares? But if you're playing in a, a venue and there's a limiter where your snare drum is, like, if you hit that snare drum, it's louder than the, the limit. Yeah. Like, it can be a bit hard because mm. bagpipes don't exactly, like, I can, I can play my snare quieter, but bagpipes can't. They have a, a certain volume. They do, yeah. You can't really deal with that any yeah. other way, can you? And they're like, even if that's without microphones on it, right? You know? So we like the guys in the band have like a kind of radio mic that goes into it, so they can be louder. Wow. Yeah, it's just so front of house wise, everything they can control it a bit more, and right. everything's a bit kind of clearer. God, imagine having to mix that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the top uh, end out of that would be. It's crazy. Horrible. And, anyway, and and getting it through in ears, like yeah. so. Nah, that's, mute. Yep, <laughs> off bass, please. <laughs> More low things, yeah. please. Um, so yeah, so um, I mean, I guess for a while I did use slightly heavier sticks with that because I had to, right? Um, to be heard. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, but then now I'm just like the whole band's kind of mellowed out a lot, so I use lighter sticks. Cool. And also, I found I found I'm not as tired after gigs, right? Because even though I still hit hard, like I don't feel like. You know that way sometimes after a gig, if you've been really going for it, like your arms are pretty dead and you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty knackered. But like after a gig, after a four hour gig, I feel as though I can keep going. Cool. Like, do you make your snare drum? I do, yeah. Right. I make how I'll usually do it, and it's changed a bit now, but how I'll usually do it, I'll make the snare, I'll make the two toms and the bass drum, and I've now just introduced an overhead as well. Every gig? Every gig, yeah. Wow. Every gig we do. That, that's devotion for it you, is. man. But I also sometimes chop and change my setup. So more recently, I've started going with just like bass drum, snare drum, floor tom, right, and then cymbals. Um, I use a bit of electronics as well. Yeah, so. I'm. I actually wanted to ask you about that, and I'm genuinely picking your brain now. Okay, right. Because I'm thinking about getting rid of my SPDSX and just using my TM2 right for like tracks and all that as well. Mm-hmm. But I also don't necessarily want to take four pads out, uh-huh. and I want to have electronic sounds right help a brother out. help a brother out. how would you how do you use your your tm2 so i use my tm2 um kind of a combination of the two ways that i think you're you're wanting to do it or, or not wanting to do it so i have two pd8 mm-hmm. pads yeah those are the standard rubber pads everyone yeah um and i have two um rt triggers right so the ones that clip onto the hoops yep for what drums so i use a uh, one of the clip-ons for my bass drum right and the other clip-on for my floor tom so you're making a bass drum and triggering a bass drum yes right okay um just because i prefer that kind of blended sound so if i put the trigger on the bass drum i can then blend the electronic sound with the acoustic drum sound right. okay um Plus, I also I want to put a trigger on it because it's a sixteen-inch bass drum, and although it's very, very punchy, I like the I like the shock of people looking at a small drum and hearing a big drum. Okay, like cool. so, like they'll hear, like they'll see a sixteen-inch bass drum and be like, "Man, that's gonna be how's that gonna cut through?" Yeah. And then next thing they hear a big slapping twenty-four sample. Oh. Okay. Wow. Um. And so this is maybe just because I've not got other RT triggers, but I use a PDA in the middle of the kit to trigger like a high disco kind of like doo okay. sound and on the RT it's probably very overcomplicated but it's just my, my mind's just been like okay this will work um, the RT on the floor tom triggers a doo 
Like a so, sub drop? Yeah, no, no, no. So it's like a low kind of disco tom sound. Oh, okay. And then the PDA over to my far right triggers the sub drops. Okay. Do you run any tracks at any point? We don't. We used to, but that's when I would use the SPDSX. Right. And what I found was the whole point of me wanting to use the TM2 was so that I had a smaller electronic rig mm-hmm. because I felt as though I wasn't using the SPDSX to its full potential. So I was like, why have it? Not yeah. why have it, but like, why use it and why take it to every gig if I'm using only a fraction of what it's capable of? Yeah. It's yeah. a funny one, isn't it? Because I've got loads of songs that we use tracks for, but we don't necessarily always play them. Yeah. So it's having it just in case. Yeah. And that's kind of getting on my nerves. Yeah. Well, it's just, like you say, it's another thing to pack. In my electronics case, I have an SPDSX, a TM2. I've got a Yamaha, like, kick trigger pad. Mm-hmm. I've got three triggers and a whole bunch of leads. Yeah. So, and I hardly ever set any of it up. Yeah. So I'm Is it one out. of those things you look in the case when you're setting up for a gig and be like, oh. Yeah, I think so. And I think I might just overhaul the whole lot and TM6 it or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've learned, wait to hear this, right? Um, Mike from Roland, who's the product specialist, was in the shop recently. And I didn't know this because I, I haven't nerded out on the TM6 enough, right? But if you've got, a, if you make a backing track and you make a click track mm-hmm. and you name them the same, but just so say you do. Uh, let's pick a song. Um, stuck in the middle. Stuck in the middle, right? For whatever reason, we're, we're back in track and stuck in the middle. But you write stuck in the middle click. Mm-hmm. When you hit one pad, it'll trigger the click as well. Oh. And it does it automatically. So you don't have to pad link no, it? No, it'll just run it automatically. Oh, man. Is that not man. so smart? Yeah, it's really clever. Because the one thing about the TM2 that I didn't like was you can't pad link them. So if I was playing tracks, I would have to trigger both pads at the same time. Mm-hmm. And if you flam that bad boy... Yeah, it's gonna be. Out. I mean, yeah, you know. So if you're like a fr- like, even if you're like a millisecond out, it's gonna wind you up. Yeah, you know, and you've got to count the band in, and they start, and then the backing track starts like a quaver later. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, oh man, you're playing everything. And there's like... no dead switch on a TM two. There is if you press. You need to press two buttons together. At yeah, the same yeah, time. yeah. But like with you, you can set the SPDSX up so you hit a pad and it starts and it hits and it stops it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it has the all sound off button. So mm-hmm. you, if you've set it up in a way where you can't quickly reach those two buttons because mm-hmm. you're an umpty, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It just felt a little bit like it's, I'm maybe trying to hack it and use it for something that it's not supposed to be used for. Maybe yeah, maybe because I was gonna say like like obviously that's why the TM2 is a thing. Yeah, it, it can it obviously has less capabilities than an SPDSX but it still gives you the functionality and to an extent like yeah. you can obviously well, I, think you can, I think you actually can set it up so if you hit one pad it'll stop it yeah oh, there's going to be a Roland expert out there corrects me on this yeah. but anyway um, if it had a pad link where yeah. you hit one pad and two start that would be good it would be good yeah but it doesn't so okay <laughs> so <laughs> so never mind yeah but it's just interesting to ask you how you set yours up because it's such a big feature and you've made it quite known that it's a big feature about your drums I love it yeah I, I like I think some people can be pretty on the fence about going the whole hybrid thing I hesitate to use the term hybrid because that is its official coined term but I don't know if it is like, I just think it's been able to expand what you already want to yeah, do I, and I think a lot of bands now are especially now that it's more available, are getting really quite creative with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's anybody in that are, you know, there's not a stadium gig without these things. 
Oh, totally, yeah. You know, totally. Even U2 and all that, I've got electronic somewhere. Yeah. You know, because some of their back catalogue will have kind of electronic sounds. If you think of like Beautiful Day or something, all that kind of drum stuff at the top, the yeah. song is all electronic sounds. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, big bands are using them. Yeah. You know? And like, not even just for like musical things, like yeah. Coldplay use it to run their lighting rig. They do. This is, yeah, crazy. Like, you know. No, that's fascinating. I maybe have to reevaluate how I do it. So how do you put any triggers on your actual drums? Sometimes. Sometimes. But what, what drums do you put it on? I, if I was going to trigger anything, it would always be the bass drum. Mm-hmm. Um, the snare drum from time to time, and then I would have external pads for claps. Right, okay. Um, and that kind of thing. Or percussionary sounds. Like, I use a vibra-slap on 9 to 5. Brilliant. Because 9 to 5 has a vibra slap so on it. So it does, yeah. So and it's like very overlooked. Yeah. And yeah. the TM2 has a vibra slap sound, so I would use it on that. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan. Yeah, totally. Brilliant. Um, but I was finding, I, had, I, need to, I maybe need to get the, the, the box fixed actually, because depending on what kit I was selected on, determined how the trigger behaved when the settings were the same. I had this really weird thing happen one night where I changed kit and the bass drum trigger just stopped behaving properly. Oh, really? So it would miss trigger or, you know, and I use a smaller bass drum. Mm -hmm. I use a 20. uh, So I've got to get the head setting right. I've just not spent enough time dialing it in, really. I think I might just need to get in a rehearsal room. Yeah, and just spend some time. I mean, there was one point where I did nerd out and I got a piece of paper and drew a diagram of where I wanted to link the pads and how I was going to link them into the Mm -hmm. system and all that. Um, but I haven't done it enough. But I found my biggest thing was that the TM2 sounds were way better than the SPDSX sounds. Yeah. The TM2 came out much later, though, as well, didn't it? Uh, well, not I can't much remember. Later. But it was also... The, the SPDSX was not designed as a trigger pad. Yeah. It just had, it had sounds generic in it. sounds in it. Yeah. I do agree. I also like that there's, like, the elements sounds in the yes, TM2. they're great. Like, if you just want, like, the click of a beater hitting a bass drum, you can do that. It took me the longest time to understand what they were for. Really, did it? it? Did, really? Yeah. Man. I think you were like, you know, it's just so that you have an element of the sound. It's like, ah, uh, that makes... Yeah. <laughs> uh, why, why is that sound really high-pitched? Now I get it. Well, when I first looked into getting a TM2, I wanted to kind of... I like to do this. I was the same with the SPDSX. I want to know everything it does before I get one. Right. Even though I know I want one, I just want to... Like, when I get it, I want to be able to use it at pretty much its full potential yeah. straight away. Yeah. Um, and it was actually Michael Shack. He has a great, great video on how to use the TM2 effectively because right. obviously, like, he's Mr. Roland yeah, practically. Yeah. Like, um, and there's a few of his great videos. And when he talked about the element sounds and the ways you can combine it around the drum kit, it's, it's really quite fascinating. Ah, we'll link that video. I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll I'll, do that. I'll have to um, find it. Yeah, yeah, totally. But it's great. Um, yeah, I feel like that's probably the best way to do it, um, yeah. just to go deep. But it scares some people, I think. Is, uh, it can be quite intimidating, especially if you've never done it before. Mm-hmm. I think maybe even the TM1, the new TM1, is a yeah. great way to start. You're right, man. Like Total gateway. Yeah. Total gateway. What do you think about the whole mesh electronic hybrid thing? You know, you get mesh heads on your kit and electronics. I think it's, I've, I've never... <laughs> actually, I tell a lie. I've tried it once. Uh-huh. I've tried it one time, and it was with my old band. We did a cover of Take On Me. Right. And I wanted that, like, really, you know, that the snare sample in that? Uh-huh. It's like a proper, like, gated, yeah, like, like it's like a really, like, just very over-engineered snare sound. But mm-hmm. I thought, that's great. I want to use that. So I had, because at that point in time, 
um, I didn't have any like clip-on triggers. I got an old snare drum, uh-huh. got a silent stroke head, put that on it, and then I can't remember how I wired it to the drum. Basically, I turned I turned it into a trigger with my uh, SPDSX, and just to get that sound, and it worked really really well. But I just think my creation, my my Frankenstein thing, <laughs> just wasn't built very well, right. so it couldn't handle it. But it was like for a while, I was like, "This is really cool. I've got a side snare, yeah. but it's not really a side snare." I, I think people have to understand that when you put a mesh head on a drum, and you put a tr- one trigger on that drum, it's not going to behave like an electronic kit. Yeah, because there's only one trigger as opposed to like three or four sensors under it. Yeah, I think oftentimes people expect it to do the same thing, and I, I think that. Man, like if if we were keyboard players, you would think nothing about spending an hour with your keyboard at home trying to get the sounds right. But mm-hmm. drummers, I think, just want it to plug and play, and then yeah. get frustrated when they don't realise that their ghost notes are going to sound exactly the same volume as their backbeat strokes because that's yeah. not what a trigger's designed to do. And I think, like, especially if you're first messing about with the SPDSX, a lot of people like overlook the threshold settings yeah. of things, so they hit like, maybe as hard as they would and it double triggers and yeah. they wonder why. Yeah. And they maybe don't just don't know enough about the module and how to fix that and how to remedy it. I 100% it. agree. Yeah. I learned the hard way with the bass drum. Yeah. Because I did a limited gig and triggered everything from the SPDSX. I meshed everything. Wow. Two toms, snare drum, bass drum. It was a tough old night, man. Yeah. I learned that I would just... If you're going to do that for a whole night, buy, like, a KT-10 or a K, Yamaha KP-65 trigger pad, mm-hmm. like, kick pad... Because the you've got to get the tension's going to be massively massively different on a mesh head than it is on a bass drum head, mm-hmm. and so the trigger's going to behave totally differently. Yeah. And if you haven't spent like a full day with your kit doing that, it's going to be a tough old night. Yeah. Which it was, man. It was a really tough. That night. sounds like it would have been a really long night. It was. It was a tough night for the whole band actually, because they were just like, "Dude, what's going on with the drums, man?" Because we were all on Indians, like, "Why is the bass drum doing weird stuff?" Mm-hmm. And I just didn't do it properly, man. I tried to be too cavalier and. Yeah. didn't dial in the sentence nightmare I mean I don't think the really busy dance floor cared oh yeah totally but, like, I think you know, it's but, uh, but, point but of pride from a band perspective like stuff like a bass drum double triggering or a snare drum not triggering well, like can throw off the full band totally even Reynolds talked about that eh? yeah, yeah, the yeah. difference between a gated microphone and a trigger like if you play badly on a trigger everyone's gonna know yeah everyone's gonna hear it yep. mm-hmm. and what like especially if you've got the dynamic setting turned off yeah. because it's just gonna be straight up mm-hmm. I know a lot of metal guys who maybe use like a TM2 or an SPDSX um, to get their double bass drum sound on point all the time. Uh-huh. And he's totally right. He hit the nail on the head when he said it at the time. I remember thinking this, like, Aye. man, like if, you, if you're if you sloppy by like a quarter of a 16th yep. note, man, that's, yep. that's coming out. Like, <clears throat> totally. totally. And everyone's going to know that you suck. And I am <laughs> sloppy by more than a 16th note, bro. Oh, so. yeah, totally, man. <laughs> Amen. I'll drink yeah. to that. Um, we just went in hybrid accidentally yeah but it was cool though like, I'll, I've, I've always been a huge fan of the hybrid thing I think now that technology is moving so fast and other companies are coming up with new things that can help you make it really cool yeah EAD bro EAD all day man yeah man yeah. It's a, guys if you haven't checked out EAD 10 you're missing out yeah it's, it's killing it's changing the game for a whole bunch of people I saw a video on a Facebook forum the other day and it was a guy's solo drum mix just from the EAD10 uh-huh. from the weekend. And it sounded like 
it honestly sounded better than what you would if you had to sit and mix it all. Oh, like, really? Do we have a link to that? Can we find it? I can try and find it. I okay. think it was on a Facebook group. Um, <laughs> but if I can find it, I will. Right. If not, um, just the fact that the guy, he, he must have took like a headphone out uh-huh. from the unit and just everything was so clear. He had quite a big setup as well. Right. So he had like maybe about five or six crash symbols and each one of them, even though they were separate areas on the kit were so divined so so divined D- defined uh-huh. um the bass drum was really really clear and he put in the comments as well just saying like you know this is on just the arena set preset one wow okay with nothing done to it there was no reverb there was no trigger wow. and it sounded incredible before like, anybody asks me why i don't use one we still use a floor monitor oh do you yeah gail, right. st- gail still uses a floor monitor so it, and there's some venues where the monitor she stands right in front of the drums. Yeah. So that and it's kinda, a microphone. Yeah, that two meter kind of pick up circle kinda, mm-hmm. uh, will just pick up, so it would cause havoc. Yeah. If, great, great if you're on in ears. Yeah, I was going to say if we were all on in ears, hell yeah. Yeah. All day. All day. Split the trigger ends at the back, man. Have pads galore. Oh man, it would be killing. It'd be really cool. Yeah. Have yeah. you? So I take it by that you've. Have you taken one out on a gig? No, I haven't, um, because we've never had enough stock. That's true, <laughs> they just keep flying out the they door. They do. Um, and for I, that very reason. Um, and I am overly sensitive to the fact that she likes her floor monitor. Yeah. Um, it would, it, singers have it tough, man, especially standing in front of a snare drum. Yeah, and um, cymbals and as I, well. And all that stuff. Um, so I... I run the board as well. Yeah. So I don't really need to make my life extra difficult. And for everyone listening who doesn't know Chris personally, um, his singer is also his wife. Yeah. So, so that he's going to get it tight on the way home. Yeah, that car Johnny Holmes is going to be like, dude, don't bring that thing out again. Yeah. But I'm slowly and surely convincing her to go down the monitor path, any mm-hmm. monitor path, so I don't have to lift the bloody thing into the car. Oh, yeah, because that's a hit. That's a weight in itself. It's huge as well. It's like a 12-inch speaker she uses. Whoa, so it's, wow. yeah, it's a big, it's a big monitor. So um, it would be too difficult uh, for me. I don't have enough time to dial it all in and all that, and it's going to change per room and all that stuff. So yeah. um, not currently, but if, if we get Gail on any monitors, then yes, I will use it. Yeah, because it's just it, it makes sense. I've actually, I know I just went on a big brigade of how much I love the TM2, but I actually think going forward I would look to get an EAD ten. Yeah. Purely for just ease of setup. You know, yeah. I don't have to that's that's all of a sudden that's now two cases I don't need to bring. Right. One with my microphones, one with my uh, electronics. Yeah. It's because it's all in one. You know yes. and um, one unit that I can put in my backpack, you know, yeah, which I'd be bringing for, anyway. For sure. My concern, you know, realistically my concern would be the memory. That's about the only thing. If I've got to run tracks and samples. Right, okay. Because there's not enough memory, I don't think. But if I have a USB stick, then I'm sure you can just launch it from there. Is that right? I think so, yeah. 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 Or my Do you know, the best man to ask about all this is Simon Edgus. Yeah, the best man to ask is Simon Edgus. Yeah. I'm so gutted I missed the demo. It was really cool. He had it on, for everyone who was there, they know this already, and it's pretty much no secret, but he had it on a cajon. Oh, wow. So he was, like, triggering things from a cajon. Like, he had, like, I think there's, like, a, a 70s, like... A patch on the EAD ten, and it like sounded like a cajon being played like in the seventies. Wow! Like like from someone else, and he also provided like, audio examples of people who have used it on tours. Right, and it's just like like everything's crystal clear. Wow, crazy. That's crazy! Yeah, 
Cool. Um, all right. That kind of so now all the acoustic players have just been like switched <laughs> off. Like. Yeah, totally. We're not listening to this. Tell the nerds now. Um, what questions do we have? So we, I as I say, I asked a few on the forum and I got a few on the Instagram story. Um, I found one on the Instagram story that I think might pique your interest, and it's also I'm going to switch things a bit here, Chris, because you interviewed me about electronics. I'm going to interview you now. Uh-huh. Um, so this was from. Hang on, I'm going to get my notepad. <laughs> So, Sir Andrew of Squires, right. username at Sir Andrew of Squires, um, who is a Leeds customer. Oh, cool. Um, Hi, Andrew. What made you decide to play drums? Oh, okay. Well, Let's go down that rabbit yeah, hole. Yeah, sure. Well, strangely, it was slightly different for me. I grew up in a household with a drummer in it. My dad was a drummer. Uh, oh, okay. And a gigging, like a proper, like proper working musician, working man's clubs and cabaret acts and, and weddings and like all of that stuff. He, 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 could, he played in a band that could literally back anyone. And it, they would do things like, you know, they, they would play in Masonic halls and, you know, the same drunk guy would get up to sing the same song every week and mm-hmm. he would be out of time at the same bit. And, you know, they could shift it. Um, and for years and years and years, he tried to get me to play the drums, and I was like, nah, I'm too busy doing anything else. What Fo- else were you doing? Play football. Like, as a right, kid, okay. like, that was my jam. Yeah. Um, so, I didn't, you know, and we would go every year, New Year, we would go to the New Year gig he played at the golf club, and yeah. John, my brother and I would sit there bored out of our mind mm-hmm. while his band would play, and it would be a big jam session and all that jazz. And I just was not interested at all. Mm-hmm. And then I went to high school, and day one of high school, we get music, and we're playing the drums, and I get to play the drums, and the light bulb goes, ding! Straight away. Straight away. Yeah. As soon as I started playing, I was like, oh, damn, son. <laughs> so <laughs> I went fun. Yeah, I went home, and I was like, Dad, teach me how to do this. Mm-hmm. Hook a brother up. Um, and I was a really slow learner right. at first. At mm-hmm. first, it took me like... You know the Billy Jean rock beat we all learn? Oh, the first yeah. thing we all learn? Yep. Two whole days. Two whole days. Two whole days wow. of like trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And eventually gaining some traction. And it was kind of like a penny dropped. Mm-hmm. And then from there it just went like, I went deep, man. I got really lucky. At school, two guys I knew played guitar and bass. And from like the minute I could play, we started playing. Oh, okay. So I started playing music as soon as I started playing drums. That's really cool. It is really cool, and it's really fortunate because I can learn music really quickly. That I can learn simpler music really quickly, like mm-hmm. pop music, rock music. Um, I learned to play without a singer as well because we didn't have a singer. Yeah. So we would play Pearl Jam songs, just the three of us, with mm-hmm. no vocalist. We would play... And everyone would know where they were in the yeah, song. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, it tuned me into things like form. So I would know how many uh, bars the verse was mm-hmm. versus the chorus. Now it goes to the quiet bit. You know, these kind of pop constructs is always like, yeah. oh, oh, we're on the bridge now. And we would jam all the time as well. So we would kind of not write tunes, but we would just write tunes. We would just jam out and we would record Wait. it we would get a four track recorder or a tape recorder like wow um, what's that I've never heard of that yeah, before. Okay. Like, and I'm talking like on cassette bro 
What's a cassette? Uh, exactly. Um, and we would set the, the, the kind of recorder up away from the band and we would record a whole rehearsal. And, like, we would all make a, a copy for each other because you couldn't Dropbox it. Yeah, oh, man. And I was, like, 12 years old. So from there, man, it just kind of spiralled and I got into everything that I could get into at school. So I was playing drums in the orchestra. Like, yes, I was playing drums in an orchestra with wow. flutes and strings and um, tune percussion. And because a lot of the pieces we were playing were kind of orchestral, there were no charts for me. Right. So I got to make stuff up. Sweet. Improv. Totally. Which is how I learned to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and how I learned to try and kind of be creative. Mm-hmm. And it taught me about playing in an ensemble, mm-hmm. which I think is really valuable. I think a lot of people miss that. Yeah. Uh, they don't get it. And schools are not necessarily set up for it. Um, and then by the time sixth year rolled round, I was playing in the brass band, which was ever so slightly different because the brass band teacher uh, was all about the chart. Right. So I couldn't read. I hadn't been taught how to read. I could get, like, I, I was doing all the exams and all that stuff. Yeah, you could get by. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I would, I you know, I would learn the, the arrangement quickly. Uh-huh. So I knew it when it would go to this bit and I knew what fills to play and all that. Yeah. But when someone stuck a brand new chart down, I was like, hand up. What's going on here? You know, mm-hmm. um, so that was a wee bit more challenging. And brass band was way more regimented as well. The 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 conductor had us sitting like in a square, basically. So all the right. it was very formal and very regimented, and I had to learn fast. Yeah, you um, would do as well. I've heard like brass bands can be pretty. Yeah, ruthless, like. but I was also massively arrogant because I was right. the best drummer in the school vibe, oh. and I was like, I don't care. Yeah, you you need me more than I need you. <laughs> Like, literally, that's how I felt about it. Wow. Um, but I kind of screwed the head a bit. We went to Italy. With we, the band? With the band. We went to Lake Garden. We were playing some beautiful outdoor concerts as, this, as the sun's setting, and I'm playing drum solos and stuff, you know. It was really great, man. Really great learning experience. Um, so that was kind of my start. That's right. Um, and and then, then from there, did you just like join bands? Uh, I had. Uh, I was in a band for a few years actually, and we did this sell out King Tuts and make the albums and EPs and all that stuff. We did all of that, self funded the whole lot. Um, it sounded really like Coldplay. Yeah. Because uh, Coldplay were massive at that time. You a big Coldplay fan? The uh, first two albums are great. Yeah. Um, not so much the rest of it. The first two albums are brilliant. I've met Chris Martin. Have you? I have. Uh, we went to see them in Aberdeen and hung out after the gig and he came out and signed my set list. And he was really cool, man. He was a lovely fellow, actually. Oh, did you get a set list as well? Yeah, yeah, I got a set list off the engineer and wow. he signed it. Yeah, we drove like four hours to hang out. Man, that's cool. It was great. Um, really great. Um, so, yeah, but the band did well to a point. Um, and then just kind of all grew up a bit and... Yeah. Um, I mean, I was 20-something by this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, we'd kind of played all over Scotland and... Did that whole kind of Yeah, scene. man. I've still got one of the EPs. It's actually okay. Yeah? Yeah, the playing on it is okay. Mm-hmm. I don't... I'm not embarrassed by it. Yeah. I'm not embarrassed by the songs. I thought they were pretty considered songs. They were well-written. Did you write any of the songs? No, it was all one guy. It was the guitarist who wrote it all. Um, but I would, I wrote the drum parts, right? You know, and the bass player wrote the bass lines, and mm-hmm. the, but the guitarist wrote the lyrics and the guitar stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then that was that, you know. Yeah. That was that for a few years. And I didn't play for like four years. Four years? When I went to uni the first time, I didn't play really at all, all the way through it, you know, on and off, very briefly. But Why was that? Just, just busy studying? Ah, just busy doing other stuff, not really being that interested in it. Um, so just took a break from it, man. Um, and then Alan Dale... Alan Dale. Uh, our friend Alan, he, he'd he been teaching me when I was slightly younger, but he had come back to being in Scotland for a wee while just before he went to London proper. So I I, I went to see Alan for some lessons and it kind of kick-started that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they took it off from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's a kind of checkered beginning, in it, at least anyway. What about you? Yeah. Oh man, do you know, it's, it's it's quite funny, man, when you were talking about how you kind of started out, you and me have a very similar, like, first kind of start off to mm-hmm. the, the, how we started playing the drums, because uh, my dad was also a drummer, oh, okay. um, he wasn't a working drummer at that point in time, like, he'd kind of, I say he was getting on a bit, but like, he'd kind of moved past that kind of stage, and he right. was just like, oh, I, I, I played, like, that's how he met my mum, so... Uh-huh. So did my dad, that's how he met no my No way. Yeah, yeah. Was it in the same place, uh, I think? Uh, I know exactly where it was, so if it was in Irvine... Oh, no, it definitely no. wasn't in Irvine, okay. no. Um, it was in Dumbarton, All right, okay. my mum and dad met. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> side note. Um, so, yeah, so they, like, so... When I started showing an interest, because I was, again, much like you, it wasn't until I kind of went to school <laughs> where I thought, man, this is cool... It was when, do you know, when you were saying about the, the uh, Billie Jean, basic Robbie? Yeah, yeah. How they did it in my school was on, like, when you're first going to secondary school, like, you obviously get, like, samples of each, here's how this class is going to be, uh-huh. kind of thing. And I'd always been interested in music because my sister, she played uh, the cornet. Right. Or, or a, a small trumpet. Yeah. Um, brass band. Brass band, yeah. See, it's all going for full yeah, circle, yeah. man. It's all happening. Um, so I'd, I'd like music was always in my life, so I kind of thought I want to kind of get involved in this. It looks pretty cool. Um, and my music teacher, it sounds like a proper like um, like a, a really weird kind of story, but anyway, so um, music teacher was getting everyone out one by one to have a have a go at playing the basic rock beat, and like some people were like after a good maybe ten minutes, some people were just getting it, and obviously time's marching on in the class, so everybody's like kind of getting their turn and some people were really like starting to get it other people weren't getting it at all uh-huh. and it was just kind of so blah 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 long story short like it was my turn to go and sit behind the kit sat behind the kit and he's like okay um like here's how to do it and i started playing it straight away right like as if i'd been doing it forever well wow. i was like what yeah <laughs> i wanted makes... to use stronger words there but yeah. i wouldn't I was like, like it just it clicked right. again. Like a like a light kind of went off, and I was like, man, this this feels comfortable. Like cool. this feels fun, and it's weird, man. Like you feel, I even feel this now when I'm playing. Like nothing else matters. Yeah. In that moment, because you're so focused on like I need, I want to do this, and from there, so I just kind of thought this is what I want to do. So pretty much. Like, that was, like, not even first year in high school. Everything else went out the window, oh, like, amazing. straight away. Uh, yeah. It's like, man, I want to do this. And obviously, this was at the time where YouTube was starting to kind of come around a uh-huh. little bit. Not really. Um, there wasn't a great deal amount to learn off, but I just wanted to play. I just wanted to play all the time, make as much noise as I could. Where we were in the house, the best I could get was either um, a really poorly made electronic kit or, like, a practice pad and some sticks. So yeah. that was kind of all I had to go, or a pillow. Right. And some six, but either way, it didn't matter. Like I just, I wanted to play, 
I was again known in my school as like, oh, that wee drummer guy. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. so I like, I mean, whatever. Um, so yeah, so from there, I was like, school wasn't really working out. So I thought, man, <laughs> like, as you can kind of guess. Yes. Um, so I thought, but I want to like keep doing this. And I had like aspirations of going to uni and studying it further, right. which didn't quite work out. So I ended up going to college. And I thought, this will be cool because it's a performance course, all that kind of thing. I had a great teacher named Scott Cowie, yeah. uh, Tippy Hedron, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. or yeah. Yvonne Tipping is her real name. Uh-huh. Like, oh no, I've just I've let the secret out. On <laughs> um, and a bunch of people I met through that who I'm still like amazing pals with now right. who have helped much like yourself, like they've helped shape how I am as a drummer because we all just wanted to get in a room and make noise together. Uh-huh. And eventually that started becoming songs and yeah. you know again doing the whole. The whole touring thing, um, yeah. uh, and one of my first tours was in like 2012, where we were supporting a, a band who just got signed. Like they were on tour with McFly and all that. Oh wow! And we supported the band that was supporting them. So right. in yeah. our mind, we were like, "This is pretty cool." Like, yeah, like, what is it? So, um, so yes, yeah, so we did all that kind of thing, and um, yeah, and then obviously, as you say, the things move on. You grow up, um, and like start getting involved in other things. So, yeah. But I wanted to keep playing, so that's when, like, the whole idea of, like, oh, I, want, like, I can make money doing this as well. Yeah. You know, so, like, then joining the wedding band and things. Yeah. So that was obviously a very summarised version of my, my drumming career. Totally. But I think it's funny, man, I don't know about you, but, well, I guess maybe it's not because your dad wasn't working like mine was at the time, but mm-hmm. it's totally normal to bring your drums over the door at two in the morning. Yeah. Like, like people bringing gear home after work, that's totally normal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really straight. Like I've got vivid memories of being woken up because the band are bringing drums in. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. We're all yeah. loading gear back into the house, um, which is why I don't rag on those gigs. I yeah. Like I have no problem with those gigs. A lot of people do because they're not necessarily the most creative or they're not getting to do their thing. I just treat it as just playing the drums. Yeah, you know. So I I think a lot of people. Don't see it as very glamorous. No, because you know? it's going to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, like, um, but that's okay, of course. Because much like yourself, I see that as an excuse to play my drums for ah, four yeah. hours. Totally, every yeah. week. You know, yeah. and yeah. it's like you probably, even though you're playing, like it's the whole repetition thing in it. You're yeah, playing more, so you're yeah. gonna obviously get better the more you play. Yeah, it's just what it is, man. I I, I don't even think about it actually. Yeah, I, it, it's not like I I analyze it too heavily because I, I still like. I went to uni to study it eventually, you know, and I've done creative things, I've made albums and I've written all my own music and, I, you know, mm-hmm. when I came out of uni, I had three albums released in the one year. That's mental. Like, wow. one of them was, I released my own, like, jazz rock thing. Yeah. Uh, one of them was with a band called Hercules Mandarin and then one of them was with a band called Driven by Harness. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so literally the, the year I came out, I released more records than most people that I know. Yeah. Um, so it's not like that wasn't a thing, mm-hmm. you know, still around. And I, I still do the, the, the kind of connected thing from time to time. The other two have kind of taken a wee bit of a back seat. Uh, I've actually passed the Driven by Harness gig on now, which is a shame, but it was it was just getting too much to do with everything. Yeah. Uh, and I really like that music, so go check them out. Um, and the Hercules... <laughs> totally. And the Hercules band, I think I really like that music as well. That was slightly different. I got to write music in that band, mm-hmm. uh, like guitar-based music. Um, so yeah it's not like I don't tick the creative box yeah um, but uh, I certainly don't rag on doing the other stuff either yeah totally I think it's like I I just see it as like you could be working 
in like McDonald's yeah. or something, doing something else on a Saturday night when you really want to be playing drums. Yeah, that's it's it. like wedding gigs or function gig, whatever. Yeah. Like you can be doing that stuff. Yeah. And be getting probably paid more yeah, and yeah. actually having fun. Yeah. Like Yeah, you know. like I said before, I think I talked about this before, but it's just about putting it in its box. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just about understanding exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Rather than being like, oh, I'm not doing this, it's crap, it's, t- it's just what it is, man. Yeah, it's you just playing. Have fun. Yeah. yeah. Might as well enjoy it. Like, totally, man. And there's like, <laughs> there's actually a lot of songs playing in the wedding band set that, this is going very full circle. Uh, I love it. Love it, circle of life. <laughs> um, I, I like, there's a lot of bands, like I've discovered a lot of bands from playing in function bands. Yeah. You know, like Probs. I've discovered that I actually really enjoy ABBA. Ah, because they're great. Because they're amazing, yeah. Aye, totally. There you go. Aye. And it's not all cheese, man. We play some rock and roll if we want. You know, yeah, we, play, we play stuff we like, so. And it's now, there's now the trend of because brides and grooms are like similar ages to us, mm-hmm. it's all music that we all grew up listening yeah, to. So totally you're now getting the wedding 90s bands. Are, aye, the 90s are a massive thing now. If you they are. Play, you know? Like you're getting now getting but like people requesting Blink 182 songs. Yeah, totally. You know, totally. or like Steps. <laughs> yeah. Which. Not always a bad thing. Andrew, thank you for the question. Tell us how you started, bro. Yes. Let us know. Yeah. Um, shall we do another question? I go. Let's see. Guys, the other thing about this is if we um, were to answer all these, it may take us about five hours. Yes. So, so we uh, might do a couple of casts on this stuff. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think like this won't be the first time we'll visit a topic like this because right. I know a lot of people have asked us about yeah. things in the shop and we've maybe taken some time then and thinking like this would be a really good podcast yeah. chat. Um so uh, Ken Yip. Oh hi Ken. I love Ken, man. He's great. Ken's so cool. Yeah, he's awesome. Ken asks, uh, if you could talk a little bit about health, fitness and protecting your ears. Well, Ken, uh, my old man lost his hearing, bro. He ended up with a hearing aid for years and years and years. Without, did he really? He wow. did, I Actual Johnny, Jolly Boy John, for real. He ended up wearing a, a hearing <laughs> no aid. No one else is going to understand no, that not. unless he's so. Because um, the cymbals, bro, and the snare drum will do horrendous things to your hearing if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. So my understanding is that your ears can take about 25 minutes of like sustained volume, right? So if you think about you're doing that for, you know, you multiply by eight if you're doing a long gig, it's roughly what you're putting your ears through. You need to protect that, man. The the top end will start to go um, before anything else. And then before you know it, you know, you're wearing a hearing aid to talk to your grandkids, like for real. So Mm -hmm. yeah, buy earplugs, buy in-ear monitors, buy whatever it takes so that you don't hurt yourself. And also just where you said in-ear monitors there, like, even then, like, be cautious, yeah, like, uh, because that's now you've think about it. All the frequencies that you're blocking out with any of your monitors are now getting driven directly into your ears. Yeah, so I lower lower the volume of everything. Yeah, lower the volume of your playing. Lower the volume of the band if you can. You know, lower everything. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, like just make things adaptable to you to where you're not hurting yourself or others. Yeah, really, for sure. Like for sure, and be sensitive, man. Like I've done depth gigs where I've hit the snare drum and seen the singer wince mm-hmm. so okay right I can't keep hitting this this hard that's, yeah. that's just not happening mm-hmm. it's not fair you know so yeah you be sensitive to that but yeah definitely protect your hearing for sure yeah. uh, what was it health and what else health and fitness just like things well, that you do I'll like, give you you can take the floor on fitness man you do a wee bit more than me I don't <laughs> I dabble <laughs> um, yeah like just like 
what I found recently, um, and I only discovered this, I guess I discovered this maybe two years ago, and Reynolds, Craig Reynolds spoke about, like, he's a big fitness fanatic, and yeah. he, like, it does obviously impact your playing a lot, sometimes in a bad way if you've been maybe, like, lifting too heavy weights or whatever, but also in a good way, like, your cardio goes through the roof. Yeah. I read somewhere, or in fact, no, I never read, sorry, my old college lecturer told me that, did you know that before, apparently, allegedly, before any Metallica gig, Lars Ulrich goes for, like, a five-mile run. Oh, wow. Like, to get himself in the zone. Well, there you go. And it's like, man, and then he's going out to play rock show. Yeah. Um, And it's like, man, like, a lot of people have a lot of beef with Lars, but, I mean, like, I don't see anyone else. Respect. I don't see anyone else doing that. Um, So, yeah, I think just, like, just looking after yourself a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like, don't be a dummy and and eat horrendous things before you go and play a gig and water. I think Carter Beaufort warms up and he drinks salt water because when he sweats, he loses salt, obviously. Yeah. So he drinks salt water before he plays. Wow, I didn't know to, that. Yeah, to just try and keep his system replenished, keep water on the stage. Um, yeah, look after your body. <laughs> Says the man who does jiu-jitsu. Yeah. I'm currently uh, dealing with an injury, actually. My right shoulder... Uh, and shoulder blade and back are it's really sore uh, because <laughs> oh, I got no. tapped out uh, and yeah um, without getting into the nerdy jiu-jitsu side of it I got uh, submitted uh, training and it hurts like hell uh, so there's a physio has that affected your plane? Uh, well yeah actually strangely uh, the other night my seat was really high and it felt like somebody had been messing with it so I lo- and it was causing pain because my right arm was at the wrong angle for my hi-hats, so I had to lower the stool, which kind of alleviated it. Hmm. So it, it doesn't actually affect... Like, I'm not sore when I play unless I... Tr- like, on Saturday, I, I went for a crash and just threw the arm out too quick. There was a little bit of a nip, and I was like, oh, hmm. pay attention to that. Um, Here's a question for uh-huh. you. Do you, even on wedding gigs, do you warm up? No, because I set the gear up. Right, okay. So that's physical enough. Yeah. Lifting a PA in and out of car and mm-hmm. uh, throwing the PA up. So, yeah, I, I kind of treat that as a warm-up. Yeah. But I also don't hit very hard. Right, okay. Um, I have played a gig where <laughs> this was horrible, but my right hand, thumb and index finger completely seized. Oh, no. And I couldn't pinch. So if you think about, like, pinching your thumb and index finger together, uh-huh. I couldn't do that. Wow. It was really scary. So Why was that? Was it just uh, like over tension? I don't know. To this day, I still don't really know what happened. So if you imagine being able to only hold the drumstick with your pinky ring and middle finger because your index finger and your thumb can't... Don't want to get one. No. Yeah. And you've got like three songs left in the set. Oh, man. Uh, it came back but it was really scary. Yeah. Really scary. Was that when you were like, man, I need to like, check myself before I wreck myself? Yeah, I just was like, maybe I shouldn't hit the drums really hard. Yeah. You know, so I spent a lot of time, when I went to college as well, I spent a lot of time learning how to do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Dave DeCenzo, the great Dave DeCenzo talks about this. He had a, he, had, he keeps a practice journal and in it was a picture of him when, when Dave DeCenzo, he's a really, check him out, he's amazing. But he used to play for Cro-Mags, who are like a mad punk band. Mm-hmm. And he's got a picture in his journal of him when he's 16 years old. And he's like, his head is down and his hands are raised behind his head, 
and you can see every muscle flexing in his body, and it just says underneath it, what not to do. <laughs> and he's, he suffers with tendonitis oh. from years of playing too hard and over-gripping and all that stuff. So you've got so many things to consider. Thomas Lang had to get the carpal tunnel operation on both hands from oh. like the wrong sticks and over-gripping and all that stuff. So Yeah, because his signature stick changed a little bit, it, didn't it? It did. It was, yeah, yeah, it did. And he doesn't play traditional grip now. Like, At all? Actively maybe? won't. Wow. You know, um, so you can see it. Mike Dolby did a story, and you can see the scars on his arms from his operation and all that. Oh. So, yeah, health and all that is really important. You know, there's there's a lot to check into, making sure that your hips, when you're sitting, your hips are above your knees so that you don't take all the weight onto your lower back. Mm-hmm. Vinny used to cut the legs off his stool. He used to cut them down because wow. his stool wouldn't go low enough, and one night had to get helped off the stool. He couldn't actually physically stand up. His back had seized up. Whoa. So... All that stuff, man, you know, you've got to look after all of that. So hips above the knees, keep the head up. I've got a really bad habit of putting my neck down. Mm-hmm. It's really bad for you. Yeah. So keeping good posture, um, eating well, not caning it on the beer, yeah. you know, um, making sure your drums are set up ergonomically. So, like, I, d- I learned this as well. This is something that Chris actually taught me at the start of the year. Yeah. so And it's made a world of difference. So take everything away, right? Strip your whole kit down. Take it all away. Sit on the stool at a height that you think is right. (coughs) And just put your feet down and don't move them, right? And that's like let your body land where it wants to naturally land. And then from there, you put the pedals under your feet, right? And that's where they set up. Then you put the snare drum in and you shut your eyes and you, you sort of hit the snare drum and stop. And where the stick lands is like where you put the drum so that the bead of the stick lands in the middle of the head. That's kind of roughly where you put the... Yeah, that's not roughly. That's exactly where you put the drum. And you do that for everything else. All the crashes, ride, uh, toms, floor tom, the whole bit. Set your kit up like that. And I guarantee A, it'll look really different. And B, you'll play better. Because everything will flow. Yeah. Did it work? Flow like the TV show. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Another obscure movie reference. Um, it did actually work for me a lot because what I found was I was so used to, because I've seen it so many times on stages, of having the bass drum be flat against the audience. Yep. And so you sit, you sit twisted. Yeah, I found that my, my right foot wasn't like all, like facing out the way. It was more curved in. Yep. And that made, I, I used to wonder why I would finish gigs and like my right leg would be killing yep. me. Because... I just wasn't set yep. up properly. Same yep. with my wrist. I would always just hit like, the, you know that way when you go to hit like the snare and you just hit the rim? Yep. I do that all the time. Yep. Totally I don't bro. do it as much now, but yeah, man. like it still happens obviously. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, like everything just, Chris is totally right. When, if you set up your kit like this, like you looking at it, it'll be like, that looks outrageous. Yeah. But then as soon as you play, it's like, whoa. This is whoa. This yeah. is ten times easier. As soon as you can get round the drums and do your fillings with no problem, you're like, ah, okay, there's something in this, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Cool. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, uh, Ken. Oh, I, I need to phone Ken actually. He's got some gear in the shop. Oh, yeah, he's waiting on some. He's waiting some some very nice goodies. Mm. What good. we got next? Um, how many more questions do you want to take? Uh, how long have we been talking? Uh, almost for an hour. Okay, so. so like one more maybe. Yeah. Um, the best way to cook an omelette <laughs> well I don't eat eggs so in the bin in the bin wow brutal disagree but okay <laughs> well you tell me uh, just cook it Do you put it. ham in it uh, I sometimes put some ham in it some cheese mushrooms wouldn't go amiss sometimes right. Um, what else see after you've cooked it do you yeah. bake it at all my dad does that way right. 
I don't. I just I'm, I like whatever way he gets it from the frying pan to my belly quick enough. Like that's just that's how I roll. Okay. Um. Let's see. Uh, this is a very geeky question, okay. potentially for you as well. Okay. Charlie Smith. Uh-huh. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Uh, it would be interesting to discuss the difference hoops make to drums, single flange versus triple flange versus die cast versus other hybrid like DW true hoops or oddities like the S hoop. Massive is the answer. Um, <laughs> well, that's all we've got time for. <laughs> Anything metal on a shell adds weight, right? So what that does to the sound uh, is is phenomenal, actually. I actually wrote a blog post about this recently, maybe about two years ago. So, yeah, dead recent. But um, hoops, heads and wires on a snare drum. But, yeah, the, the, anything that adds downward pressure um, will add will change dramatically how it all behaves. So going from uh, lightest to heaviest, it'll be like single flange, triple flange, die cast. The DW stuff's kind of on the die-cast spectrum, and S-Hoop is kind of a halfway house. Um, I prefer triple-flanged because I think that I can tune the drums, the snare drum especially, to where I want them quicker. If you have a die-cast hoop on a snare drum, the incremental difference... Turning the key makes is unbelievable. Like, unbelievable. You can completely change the sound of a drum by just, like, the slightest turn on each lug. But with a triple flange, you get a little bit more wiggle room. You can turn them... Uh, you can turn the key uh, wider or longer, in, and it, it won't make as much of a difference. Having said that, sometimes I played... Uh, I mean, I played uh, Gail's drum, actually, on Saturday. She's got Phil Rudd. Soda signature, I got diecast hoops on it, and my goodness gracious me, what a sound this thing makes! Really, yeah, yeah, it's a chrome what over we, brass. Oh, it's chrome over brass with a snare weight on it, and it sounds mega. Wow, because the hoops just give you the greatest rim shot, man. Yeah, so it's horses for courses, but yeah, it will make a huge difference, man. Huge, huge difference. I know that brands like Gretsch use diecast on pretty much all their pro drums. Yeah. Um, you know, renowned. Um, Hybrid uh, Maple's got um, diecast. Well, on here's it. the thing, though. Nerd! Nerd, nerd alert! Yamaha use aluminium diecast, right? Okay. So their diecast hoops are technically lighter. Mm-hmm. It's all about resonance, baby. Yeah. So their diecast hoops will give you more resonance. So, yeah. Uh, it's a funny one. like, But, yeah, diecast will make a, a huge difference, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the drum kit I have is a Sonar Vintage Series, and they have what they call the Super Profile Hoop, which is a rounded-over, triple-flanged. Um, it's a vintage look. Um, it gives you a hell of a rim click, like mm-hmm. a side-stick sound, um, but it's really open and responsive. I love them. Um, but, yeah, they will make a big difference. Yeah? Yeah. Same as heads, man. Yeah. The heavier the head, the lower the sound. What's your favourite heads to put on uh, your vintage? Uh, ambassadors. I tried Emperors because for years that's what I played, but because the kit has rounded over bearing edges, it just killed too much of the tone. Right, okay. So Ambassadors just brought the kit back to life. Okay. Um, I've got Power Stroke 3 on the bass drum and I've got a controlled sound on the snare. I recently put a, uh, a Diplomat, a snare side on, mm-hmm. but I don't like it. 
Right. It's why Why do you not like it? Because it's too thin and the drums sounded better with an ambassador weight hazy on it. Right. So I'm going to change it back. Okay. Um, it's just a preference for me. Yeah. Uh, it's mainly why we stock ambassadors on sides as well because a lot of people <laughs> come and ask for diplomat resonant sides yeah. and it's... It, Changes the characteristics of the drum. Oh, it, it did it way more than I was expecting, actually. Yeah. Way more than I was expecting. Um, and I was like, mm, man, this sounded way better a minute ago. Yeah. But I've paid for it now, so yeah. I'm going to play it for a wee while. Um, it changes the way the wires behave. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Charlie, we're slightly off topic. But it changes the way the wires respond, it changes the way the drum responds, all that stuff. So yeah. I much prefer it uh, with a ambassador weight. Hey. You ever tried an S hoop? Just going back to what Charlie was saying. Uh, on the Gavin Harrison drum I have, yeah. And yeah. again, like hell of a side stick, hell of a rim shot, you know. So even have you heard like the twelve? Yes. Like Gavin oh man. Even that drum alone, it can sound fat, it can sound yeah. really, really snappy. It's just yeah. it's honestly out of all the twelve inch snares I've heard, which isn't a lot, granted, but yeah. It's very, very versatile. Yeah, man, it's got way more body than you expect, eh? Totally, yeah. Um, it sounds really like back. Gavin. Yeah, yeah. Um, someone was talking about this. Jeff Davenport was in actually picking his drum up because he'd left his 12-inch Gavin Harrison snare here by accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were talking about, you know, how well it's designed, you know, because Gavin plays really, really loud or really, really quietly. Mm-hmm. Like, there's... He's, there's he's no in-between. Not really, you know. So when he's ghosting, it's really quiet, but when he's backbeating... And that drum's set up to do that. I think that hoop helps that. I think the the head helps it because it's a controlled sound head he uses. Mm-hmm. And the O-rings that he puts on the drum, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, to answer you, man, hoops will, will make a massive difference. Yeah. You know? And, of course, it's maybe not the, the, the most uh, budget-friendly thing to do, but f- experiment with it. Like, yeah, find man, out it, what happens. It, it, like, it doesn't have to be expensive. Tama, uh, I've got a whole range of hoops uh, that we have in stock. It doesn't have to be a massive expense to change. I mean, that's one way that you will get a new snare sound for sure, man. Yeah. If you can't afford to buy a new drum, buy some new hoops, mm-hmm. you know? Try it out. Yeah, totally. I might, I've might. i got some die-cast hoops. I might put some on my vintage. Yeah. See what it sounds like. I probably won't like it, but, you know, yeah. at least I gave it a shot. You've got the option, yeah. You, yeah. Can, you can say afterwards yeah. what you thought about it. Yeah, yeah, that sure. might be an interesting podcast chat. Okay, I'll do it. Do it. I will. Do it on a gig. Okay. okay. Um... Will that do us for now? Yeah, I think so, man. I think there's yeah. plenty there. Um, yeah, if anybody has anything else that they want to hear, we'll we'll get we'll address more questions, you know, because you guys have put a bunch out. So yeah, we've um, got a few questions there. We didn't want to answer them all in one episode because, as Chris said at the start, it would be like eight hours long, yeah. and and we both have families. Yeah, <laughs> we do, <laughs> and so do you guys. And uh, like, do you know there's a drumming podcast that I was on one time, and the drum gab, the drum gab, yes, um, Seamus. And he did an episode that was 10 hours long. What? Yep. Who with? For his 100th episode. So he did... I was. This was the episode that I was on. Right. Um, and the idea being that he wanted to interview a good few people and have, like, multiple people on this uh-huh. episode. Um, so it ended up being over 10 hours long. Did anybody listen to it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? like, people, like... Wow. I, 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 I listened to it. It took a long time. Oh, but like a week. Yeah, like, it's like, if you want to listen to something, it's good for long drives. Right. Like, so that kind of thing, like, if you're going on, like, a three, four-hour drive, you yeah. can listen to, like, three or four different interviews. Oh. And you'd think after 10 hours, like, 10 hours sounds like a lot, but it's, like, 12 or something different people. Wow. So you're getting a different perspective every, like, hour Man, or so. Maybe we should do a marathon. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Um, we'll sign off for today. 
uh, and the, the podcast after this, we've got another very special guest, so we're looking forward to having him. Yes. In the meantime, you can always reach us on Facebook at Drummers Only UK, uh, Instagram, Drummers Only UK, uh, Twitter, Drummers Only UK. Uh, you can email the shop mm-hmm. at info at drummersonly.co.uk if you've got any requests, if you want to maybe get yourself some S hoops, you want to get yourself <laughs> some new hoops, some new heads, whatever. Yep. Um, come and visit us in both Glasgow and in Leeds. Yep. Jake's um, a very nice guy. He's uh, <laughs> re- <laughs> Jake's a lovely dude. Um, so come in and see him because he makes a, a cracking cup of tea. Yep. Um, and of course, we make some decent coffee here as well. Um, and if you guys got any questions, any ailments, um, within reason, uh, come and see us. And we'll yeah. hook you up. Do it. Thanks, guys. Oh, and before we go, uh, we're open 24-7 on drummersonly.co.uk. Holla. Holla. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.